our way through this little uh, series we're doing, kind of living life on purpose is the way we're uh, looking at it or referring to it. That book that we have given you guys and want you to be reading through, you uh, read this week really chapters 8 through 14, which look back on what we talked about here when we were together last week, which is the fact that God is seeking worshipers. God wants you to worship Him. And why that is, we talked about how the reason that God wants you to worship Him is because God has your best interests in mind, not because He's insecure. I had a good conversation with a, a gentleman after our time last week, and he was talking about how desperate he was, using the analogy, and if you weren't here last week, I'll just catch you up. I kind of closed with the time I took my kids to a candy store and let them choose anything they wanted. And the one that was a little older looked to me and said, Dad, what would you get? And the one that was a little younger just went right for what was her eye level, looked bright, looked friendly, fit in her little hand. She grabbed it. It happened to be a you know, red-hot fireball. And we, we talked about how, as a dad, I, I wanted her to trust me, that I could enlighten her and give her a revelation, a perspective, some experience about what would be some great candy. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, you know, I want my little girl so desperately to listen to me. I wish that I could help her in that, in that same way. And I talked to her. I said, well, why do you want your little girl to worship you in that way, to look to you and say, Dad, help me when she's six? Is it because you're insecure and an egomaniac and need the approval of a six-year-old girl? And he kind of looked at me, what? And, and I go, that's not the reason at all, is it? I go, he goes, no. I go, well, why is it? He goes, because I love my little girl. And I know I can help her. And I want you guys to understand this. When I tell you that you were created to worship God and God created you to worship Him, you need to know that He's not an egomaniac. He's not an insecure God that needs you or anybody else to worship Him. He loves you. And He wants you to have the perspective that He is the Creator and the Sovereign can give to you that would allow you to experience some sweet things. And so I want to just kind of go back over one thing we ended with last week and set this up because what we're going to talk about now Today and the next two Thursdays are some sweet things that if you look to God as your father, he would have you choose. Some things that he would say, look, I know how you're wired. I know what you tend to want to do. I know how you want to isolate. I know how you want to look strong. I know how you want to uh, present this idea that you can make it on your own. I know how in your nature you're wired to not show vulnerability. But I want to show you some sweet things. Some things that when you grab them, when you trust me and let my hand guide you someplace, you're going to be glad you looked at me and said, Dad, what would you do? Now, it doesn't make any sense that you would ever choose some of these things unless you knew that he was a father that loved you. And that's so much of what I'm about right now with my little gals and what the guy and friend I talked to last week is about with his and what many of you are about with yours and what your parents, if you don't have any children, were about with you. They wanted you to love them because they loved you and had your best interests in mind. Now, there were times as kids we don't always believe that, but that's what's going on with our parents. But let me just walk you through the first part of this, where we look at the, the stuff we talked about last week. And again, I'll remind you, God doesn't want us to pay some spiritual tax. That's the first blank, that word tax. God says he delights in obedience more than sacrifice, but it's obedience that's born out of love. He's not looking for a bunch of people. When you think worship, don't think Sunday morning. When you think worship, don't think music. When you think worship, don't think ritualistic, showing up, plugging in, doing specific things. God is not so small that he needs you to jump to every time he says jump to at a certain location. What God is looking for right there is somebody that worships in spirit and truth. 
In fact, when you see folks that are quote-unquote showing up at places where they're supposed to be engaging with God and they're not engaging at all, they're daydreaming through uh, you know, whatever is going on before them, that they've lost focus and interest with what's happening up front. The words don't have meaning to them. Their heart's not engaged. People that would come in and watch and go, if that's the kind of relationship that this kid has with that father, then I'm sorry for him, but I'm not going to get drugged into that. In fact, people that don't worship in spirit and truth, God would much rather say, I'd rather you not come. I'd rather you go and just... Make sure you, you continue to worship what it is you're really worshiping, that you're really engaging your heart in. You don't just show up and be dispassionate about what you're trying to make yourself greater in some other area, whether it's your physical fitness or whether it's your fiscal fitness. You're passionate and fully engaged there, and people see it give you life, and people see it give you energy, though it's going to be fleeting in the end. What God wants is folks that worship Him, it says, in spirit and truth. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a story, true story, about a guy that grew up in Germany, uh, well, a little over 100 years ago. And he was the son of a very devout Jewish man who did not miss uh, any time that the temple was open. He was there to worship, and he required the same of his kids. And his young man, this young man, really, his father was his hero. He loved the discipline that his father represented, and he loved his father's strength and his father's conviction. Well, things worked out where they had to move from this one town in Germany to another. And when they went to this other town in Germany, there was no synagogue. And so the dad came home one day and announced that they were going to go to the Lutheran church. And the son said, what do you mean we're going to go to the Lutheran church? We're Jewish. And he goes, well, we're not anymore. And, they, and he said, well, why not? He said, because it's necessary for us to go here if my business is going to make it in this new town. And you can imagine what it did to this young man. He became incredibly disillusioned. He realized his dad didn't have a conviction he thought he had, didn't have the strength, didn't have the spirit to worship God for who he really was. That he would change on just a moment because it made sense for him economically. This young man left home, went to England, would spend a lot of time in the British Museum writing and journaling, and he took his writings and his thinkings together, and he began to create a philosophy of life and a worldview and a system of belief that has since grown to enslave many people. And his key thought in this is that religion is for fools, that religion can simply be explained as, uh, as something that exists for economic reasons. And he wrote a little book, this guy Karl Marx did, that has caused a lot of horror in a lot of people's lives. And it all goes back to watching a man that did not worship God in spirit and truth. God wants folks that engage with him with their heart, that have a relationship with him, and that aren't paying some spiritual tax. And they're not worshiping the God that they've created. They worship him with all their heart, and they worship him for who he is. That's the truth part. That's what God is looking for. Now, as you move down through your little sheet right here, it talks about how if you want to worship God, you've got to stop trying harder to do what he wants and start trusting more. And here's the illustration I did with my little friend last week as uh, we were talking about some different things and some applications. And he said, I, I, I want, I want to try, I'm trying so hard to worship God. I'm trying so hard to believe that he's got my best interest in mind. And I said, now, wait a minute. I go, God is always going to be more anxious for you to know His will than you're going to be to seek it. He is more anxious to give you, present to you sweet stuff than you ever will be to consider it. So don't tell me you're trying. You're not really trying. And what I did, I'll try and do it. If you can hand me that pen, Dan, right there. Uh, I'll just show you. And I'll use my friend Victor right here. And I, want, I got this little Sharpie. You may not be able to see it, but you'll get the idea even as I talk. And I'll just tell Victor. I said, Victor, I want you to try and take that Sharpie out of my hand. No, 
You took it. Let me get it back. Try and take that out of my hand. No, you, you took it again. I want you to try. Just try and take that out of my hand. Try. No, you took it. <laughs> now, what am I showing you? Anybody says, I, I, I'm trying to get to know God. I'm trying to worship God. I want to say, no, there's no such thing as trying to do something that God's wanting you to do. You either do it or you don't. If you want to take it, you can take it. There's a lot of guys that might be out there to say, hey, I really, I, I'm trying to have a relationship with God. I'm trying to worship Him. And I'm going to go, well, then are you? And what you need to really do is stop trying to say, God, what do you want from me? What's the sweet stuff in my life? And start trusting Him because He's desperate to give it to you. And I'm going to talk to you again about why He's desperate to give it to you. Going back to my analogy with my kids, I was desperate to give it to my kids because this was going to be a fun memory for us. We got to go to the candy store. They could pick anything they wanted. And I wanted them to have the best memory they could. I wanted them to have the sweet stuff. The same thing is true for us in life. Now, don't hear me say prosperity when I say this. But the stuff that makes any condition and circumstance in life sweet. That's what God wants us to have. But we've got to trust Him that He has our best interest in mind when He says, go through life this way. And too many guys are convinced that they're trying to do what God wants. And I would tell you, you've got to stop trying harder and begin to trust more. Make some sense? In other words, when God says this is the way you go through life, don't try and do it. Trust him and go through life that way. And begin to be obedient every way that you can. And let him take your hand and direct it towards that sweet way, even if it's hard and you're passing over some things that your eyes or your flesh are drawn to. Stop trying and start trusting. That's that blank right there. Now we move to this next section because this is really key to where we're going to be. Uh, you know, the, the, the scriptures talk about the fact that we are all created by the same Father. Every single one of us. There's nobody anywhere that's not created by the same God. But we are not all children of the same Father. Now what do I mean by that? If you want to, just flip on over to the back. I want to read you these little verses in Galatians that are here. And it talks about how a number of us are still a slave to something other than this trust-loving relationship that we have with God. Uh, some of us are a slave to our own sense of right or wrong. Others are a slave to some religion, some law, some performance mentality. This is the idea here in Galatians 3.23. It says this, until faith in Christ was shown to us as the way of becoming right with God, we were guarded by the law. In other words, the law protected us, and God did give us something that would show us the right way to live. We were kept, if you will, in protective custody, so to speak, until we could put on our faith in the coming Savior. God gave us a rail that we could run by, but what he didn't give us is a means to stay near that rail. Let me put it another way, it says in the scripture. The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. It was our tutor. It taught us something. So now, through faith in God, we are made right with God. In other words, it's by trusting God that we begin to have the relationship with him that will lead us to the sweet stuff. How do you become a child of God then? You become a child of God through this thing called faith. You look down there, you see what's in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, the third verse down there. It says, but as many as received him, even to those who believed in his name and all that his name represented. Do you remember when Moses said to God, show me who you are, reveal your glory to me. God said, I'll tell you who I am. I'll tell you who to tell Pharaoh sent you, the great I am, the one who always was and always will be. And you want to see who I am? 
He revealed to Moses his attributes and his character. He revealed to Moses his glory. And said, Moses, when you see who I am, and you believe in who I am, and begin to trust me, and you let me direct you to the sweet stuff, and start to choose what you select in life, when you can have anything you want, when you begin to choose what I've told you is best for you, because you believe in my name, you're not going to try and please me by keeping a law. All the law showed you is the greatness of who I am. All the law showed you is that you're not as holy as I am. You can't live to the standard that I've established. So you have a need. And I'm a great God who meets your need. And it glorifies me that you would know that I'm greater than you are and that I am able to cover the distance between you and who I am because I love you and in grace will make a provision for you that if you trust in me and stop trying to please me, I will give you the life you seek. And then if you trust in me to cover that gap, You'll evidence that by the way you trust me to live this life that you're in. See, that's the story. As many as it says right there received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name that God is good and worthy of trust. Now, man, this is central to everything that we're going to talk about these five weeks. And I wanted to show you, it's a very simple illustration, and and I think it'll uh, complete for you what I'm talking about. Y'all, everybody can see this chair, correct? You know and believe that this chair exists. Anybody doubt that this chair exists? Is there anybody that doubts that this chair could hold you up if you just sat in it? That it would give you rest and leisure, and you would not have to provide your own chair and rest in life. It would not, you would have to trust in your own legs, your own endurance, but there is rest available in this chair. We all believe that. Likewise, there are many people who believe the story about who Jesus is. They're not going to argue with you that, yeah, Jesus was this man who claimed to be God, who evidenced that with his words and his works, who died on the cross. He said the reason he died on the cross was to provide for man what he could never provide for himself. They don't even argue with the historicity of the resurrection. And they'll believe that the scriptures are God's word. Let's just say they take all that. What they're doing is they say, I believe the chair is there. I believe if you rest in it, it exists. And they have what is called intellectual assent. They have knowledge about who Jesus is, and they agree that he is who he claimed he was, but they have never done the one thing that makes him a sufficient father for them. And that is, they've never trusted in him. They've never gotten up off their own system of provision, whether it's a chair they built or a race that they're running, and said, I'm done trying to do it my way and getting my provision, and I'm going to trust in him. And men, this is what it means to stop trying And start to have God as your father. Is you say, it's no longer going to be about my performance. No longer going to be about me keeping up with the law. You know what the law shows me? I can't meet that standard. And so I need something else. God is more glorious than I am. I have offended his glory. And no amount of effort can ever close that gap. God in his love and greatness has revealed his further glory by bridging that gap. By providing for that which has caused us to be separated. And the Lord has caused the iniquity to fall on himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And now I believe in his name and his goodness and his provision. And I get up off what I'm trusting in. And I say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. And I take what I do not deserve. And I have rest and I am righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Period. Now that's, men, what it means to say, I want you to be my father. It doesn't mean you show up at any place of worship or do any specific thing or respond to any sin in any specific way 
outside of the context of saying, bottom line, how I know that my Father loves me is that He has shown me His greatness that I cannot meet. He has told me that He meets the provision that I could not ever close the gap on myself, and He has asked me to trust in Him, so I'm going to stop trying to please Him and accept His love and rest in Him. Guys, if you have never come to a place in your life where you're going to say, Dad, Father, who created me, who loves me, who's been trying to show me where the sweet stuff in life is, and the very first sweet thing he says is relationship with him. It's about the glory of God. God is glorified in showing us our sin. He's glorified in showing us how he deals with our sin, and he seeks us to be worshipers. Why? Because he knows when we worship him and thank him for what he's done for us in light of our rebellion against him, that it should follow that we would trust him with this life that we live even now. And we would start to say, God, show me where the sweet stuff is in life. And that's where we get to today. And I'm going to look at today a second major purpose that God has for you. And this second major purpose, you have to understand, the reason God calls you to it is because he loves you. That's why he wants you to worship him. And now that if you worship him, if you say, I trust you, you're my father, then he says, this is the sweet stuff. You had Kyle talk about it this way, and he said simply this. What Kyle said is, look, have you ever been in a situation where you were a thousand miles away from home and you wondered if there would be some way you could deal with this horror that was going on with your family? He said, because by the grace of God, I was led to trust God and connect with other men the way that he wanted me to and to be a part of a community the way that God called me to because I had trusted him, even though it was hard and painful at times, and even though I wanted to isolate myself and run my own offense and not have accountability, but because I did what God wanted me to do, let me just tell you how sweet it was for me, how sweet it was for my son, how sweet it was for my wife, what a wonder it was to all who watched it that particular night. And what I'm going to just challenge you with is to stop trying to believe God and start trusting God. And this is a major area to trust Him. The second purpose that we're going to focus on today. Look back at your sheet with me. Being part of a great family. That's what God calls you into. But as many as received Him, He gave the right, it says, to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. If you're a child, you're part of His family. He is your Father. Not just your Creator, but He is your Father in an intimate way. And being part of a great family is a great privilege. It's not something anyone should stay quiet about. Man, here's what I want to let you know. What God says is, look, your faith is a very personal thing, but it is never private. It's very personal, but it's not private. In other words, you don't keep it to yourself, and it's not something where you just get in the corner, it's just you and God. God says, no, you are part of a family, and we want you to engage with the family. Now, the scriptures say the way that you tell the world that you're a part of God's family is what? It's through this little event called baptism. Now, what's so amazing is the very last word, so baptism, if you will, is that blank, is how you tell the world you're part of God's family. If there's a time in your life when you start to say, you know what, I'm, I'm through trying to define life by my own purpose, my own strength, my own works, my own ways, and I'm going to look to God to give me strength. If you get off your, your own works, your own provision, and trust in Jesus, and rest in Him, the Scripture says there's something you should do when you do that. Now, there's a lot of guys that have never done this public declaration that do other things. Communion, by the way. Some of us have heard about this 
idea of the Lord's Supper, communion. Many people take it on a regular basis and yet have never done the thing that God says that we should do individually. Communion is what we do as a body of Christ when we get together and we corporately testify, those that have faith in God, that we trust in his broken body and his shed blood. And we take that as a profession of our faith, as a reminder of the greatness of God, and it's an act of worship together and that we are under one head, one Lord, with one faith. But Jesus says, God says, there's a time that I want every one of my sons, every one of my daughters to stand up and say, this is now my chance to stand and say, I want you to know that I'm part of this family. And it does a lot of things for you. It creates some accountability. It opens up doors of opportunity. It will grow you and put you in the right and safe environment. But when you stand before guys and you kind of, if you will, say, I'm going I'm to be a part of this team. You can count me with who Christ is, and this is what my life is going to be about. What's so important about this is, see, as guys, our whole life we've had men around us that have encouraged us for different things. You know, um, I can remember as a kid, when I would do well in school, I'd get some good grades. Even as a very young kid in elementary school, my parents would cheer for me. It'd be an assembly, and the school administrators would cheer for the kids that did well in a certain area. When you get your presidential fitness award, you got a patch, folks would cheer for you. When you made a good play out there in the baseball field or the basketball court or the football field, folks would go, man, that is great, and they would cheer for you. They'd celebrate the right decisions you made. Coaches would work with you. Dads would be behind you. Brothers would be for you. And that goes all through life. And then all of a sudden you get through college, and you're at a place where, where you know, there's not anybody really cheering for you anymore, except the world's starting to say, hey, make yourself great in the business world. And we may not cheer for you, but maybe somebody will write an article about you. Maybe somebody will say something behind your back. Maybe they'll look and drive by your house and go, man, that brother's got to spread. But what happens is we stop having people who love us and have our best interests in mind that are around us that are really, because we haven't identified ourselves with the right team, if you will, the team that God says, look, you go work hard and do your best in business. And if there's prosperity there, great, fantastic. Be a good steward of it. You know, if you have a nice home, wonderful. Enjoy it. Share it as best you can. But that's not the sweet stuff. God says the sweet stuff is joining a team where other men will come around you and will celebrate the sweet stuff. Times that you say, you know what, I could make X number of more $100,000 this year. I could maybe advance in the company. But to do that would mean that I'm not going to be there to, to impact my own children, my own boys, my own gals. I'm not going to be there to love my wife and pursue that relationship with her. And I'm going to make a decision to say no to this so I can say yes to that. And if you're not on the right team, you're not going to have anybody cheer you for that. You're going to have folks threaten you and intimidate you off of that. And you need to be around a group of men. That when you're away on a business trip and you have an opportunity to get alone, you're lazy at night. You know, and, and you can start to get those channels on. You can start to put those movies on. You can start to lock in on some things. You need to have some guys that are going to say to you, hey, what would you watch when you were on that business trip? And you need to say, I'm going to tell you what I watched. I didn't watch what I wanted to watch. Everything in me wanted to watch, you know, this little movie that I saw that was, you know, advertised right there. Or I wanted to watch HBO and the stuff that was there specifically that, you know, uh, on you know, the real sex or whatever it's called there. I wanted to watch Sex in the City and get a glimpse of that. I wanted to do this, but I didn't do it. And you need to have men around you that will go, that is awesome. That is what a man does. He is faithful to his wife. He disciplines his flesh. He doesn't get lost in fantasy. He lives in reality. 
Fantastic for you for not taking that opportunity in your job because you knew it would cost you time with your family right now at a strategic moment. That's what a man does. He is selfless and he is a servant. And you need to have guys around you because you've acknowledged you're on God's team to champion that in your life, to encourage you. And if you don't ever stand up and say, I want to be that kind of man, I want to be on that team, guys aren't there to be able to tell you, I'm going to hold you to that, I'm going to push you to that, you're part of my family, you're part of my team. I'm going to call you to that kind of manhood. I'm going to call you to that kind of greatness. I'm going to help you be all that you want to be in that area because you're my brother, you're on my team, and I will help you excel at the position that God's called you to excel much of which is like the position that I'm in. Some things are unique to what I do and unique to what you do, but I'm going to champion you for that. See, that's why God wants you to stand up at some point and personally say, you can count me as part of this team, which means I expect my teammates to make sure that I'm living out my life, working out my life, disciplining my life towards that which will bring sweetness and glory to our God. There's great benefit in that. It's how you were wired to get along, and none of us, can exist without that. And if you've been wondering why the, the life that God's called you to isn't have all that it should, you have to ask yourself, has there ever been a time that I've gone public and that I've stood up and personally said before the community, count me as a man that has found a loving father. Count me as a man that wants to trust God. And I believe that God has died for me. And you can identify me with God. And I trust in his death and burial. There's the picture in baptism. And his resurrection, which gives me hope, and now I walk in newness of life, which should be reflected in the way I treat my wife, the way I love my kids, the perspective I have towards money and other material things. And you help me be that man. You want to live life on purpose? You want to have a challenge? You want to have a thrill? Every one of us, a lot of us have played sports at some level. And when you're with a team that accomplishes a goal at the end of that season, you go, that was so great to do together. But this is a game that never ends. fighting for a prize that never fades until we meet our Lord and he gives us that reward which says is priceless, pure, not going to be perished, it's imperishable and will be protected by him. Now that's a good trophy. What else do you want to live for? That's the sweet stuff. And that's what God wants you to experience. But you've got to trust him before you'd want to live that way. So you have to ask yourself, when did you... Or why haven't you publicly declared your relationship with God's family? And I would ask you, what's the only reason that someone shouldn't be baptized? Let me just tell you something. There's a real good reason why some of you guys shouldn't be baptized. And I want you to know something. Our love for you and our commitment to you is not going to change one bit based on how you respond to what we're talking about in terms of what we think life is about or who we think our Father is and how good He is. We hope that you see in our life a purpose that makes you go, I wish I had that kind of hope and security and passion. I wish I had that kind of team around me. But we're going to love you and be your friend no matter what you decide. Let me tell you, there's one reason why you should be baptized, and that's because you have not decided yet that he's your father and he's worthy of your trust. If you tell me that he's your father and worthy of trust, then the very first act of obedience is that. And until then, you ought to watch other guys who do it and observe their life and say, you know what, when you did that, I thought you should do this. I thought your life should begin heading that direction. Why isn't it? And that's why a lot of guys don't get baptized. Because they want to just try and be that person and not trust that God will enable them to be that person when they do what he says. All right. So very simply, you are called to belong to God's family, not just believe in God's Son. 
And in the midst of that, he meets one of our greatest needs. We are made in God's image. Part of who God is, is he is three and yet one. Father, Son, and Spirit. God has never been alone. And if we're made in his image, that would suggest to me that we are never made to be alone either. And that's the next blank. So that means that life is all about relationships. And at the end of life, relationships are all that really matters. I I just point to you again. And, you know, uh, tragically, for different reasons, I've had a chance to be around death again in the very recent couple past days. And, and I can tell you, when, I, when I'm around folks that are at that moment, when things become crystal clear what matters and what doesn't, what people want around them at that moment are the things which are ultimately significant. And what folks ask to have brought to them is the relationships that they have invested their life in. Nobody is asking for books or bank accounts or pictures of their assets. They want people to be there with them, to hold them, to laugh with them, to remember what their life was about, to know that their life will live on in the legacy that is the love that was given them. Life is all about relationships. And that's why God calls you to be in a relationship with others that know who He is and that together you can be called to the sweet stuff. So in the midst of that, you know, the Scripture says God is love, okay? Now, let me underst- help you understand this. In, in math, if A equals B, that means B equals A. That's not true biblically, okay? God is love, but that doesn't mean love is God. God is far more than just love. But when you think of love at its highest uh, expression, you can think that is happening in God. God is the right definition of love, but God is much more. Love is not God. He's much more than just love. When he revealed himself, he didn't say, I am love. No, he revealed himself in a very round, balanced, complete, holistic way. But since God is love, that means that all of life ought to be about becoming more loving because God has called us to become like him. And so it is impossible to go through life saying that you want to love and trust God and not be consumed with becoming a more loving person. Here we go with those blanks. You can't love Christ and not love his people. That little verse right there in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it just, uh, that verse says this, that they first gave themselves to God, and then they gave themselves to us. It's like the two are inseparable. That verse in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus was asked, hey, there's all kinds of commandments, and guess what? There are ten biggies, right? Four of those biggies talk about our relationship with God. Six of them talk about our relationship with us. When God's saying, you want to know what life was about? It's about relationships. And they said, well, look, take those ten and boil them down. What's the main one? He said, here's the main one. Love God with all your heart. And the second's just like it. And that's love your neighbor as yourself. And so what God called us to is say, look, you can't tell me that you love me. And that love is not rolled out and expressed in your relationships, in the way that you live your life. And specifically in the way that you live your life with those that you're most yoked to in your family. And in the body of Christ, of which you are part, if you are somebody who trusts in God. There's no such thing as being alone. You're not called to believe in Jesus. You're called to belong to his family. And part of being a person who believes in Jesus is being a committed, known, self-expressed, committed person who's a member of a local church. That's where the sweet stuff is. A church that worships God with their heart for who he is in truth, and for nothing less. Uh, It says right here, this next little blank, 
I just said to you this way, if we believe John 3.16, we should know and practice 1 John 3.16. Just flip your little sheet over. John 3.16, you know that. Most of us are at least curious about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, won't perish, but will get the sweet stuff. We'll get real, true, abundant life, both in terms of quantity and in terms of quality. But 1 John 3.16, look at this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to, if we know God's love, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what marks us as people who know his love. And the scriptures say this, flipping back over, you want a blank field. If we don't love each other, this is key, then the world has a right to think we aren't a part of God's family. Or the world will have a right to believe that Jesus is a fraud. The scripture says at the end of our life, we're going to be evaluated by our love. The scripture says that at the end of our life, the Father is going to look at those of us that trusted in him and received grace from him. And he's going to judge us as sons to be part of his family. But there's going to be a judgment as us as servants as well. And the way that it's going to be judged, we're going to be judged as servants is he's going to say, how would you do it loving How'd you do it caring for others? How'd you do it having your life not be about you? How'd you do about increasing in humility and looking at others? And by the way, humility is not thinking of yourself less. Or excuse me, it's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Too many times we think, oh, I'm not a good guy. Oh, I'm not, a really, I'm not good at that. You know, that's not humble when you say, you're not good at stuff you are, I'm not gifted in that area, or I've got to self-deprecate. That has nothing to do with biblical humility. Biblical humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? In other words, it's what God did. Instead of saying safely enthroned in the heavens, where nothing but glory is due him, he thought of you and I. And he sent his son. And he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might receive the gifts and the blessings that he deserves. And as you know that God and become like him and, be, and pursue who he is, you yourself will begin to become more like him. More humble and gentle. Especially when you stand up and say, I'm going to trust that that's the sweet life. That there's life in giving myself away. All right. If you want to, and you just go look at those, and, and let's flip it over, because these two verses are worth reading. In John 13, and you're back, uh, 34 and 35, very quickly, as well as John 17, it just says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you should also love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. See, the world doesn't understand when people love in a way that they're not doing it to manipulate and get things back. I had a, uh, a young lady that I had, uh, I had a, a friendship with, and I had... Uh, kind of been a leader in some different areas in her life. She went on to play some college sports. She happened to play soccer at a Division I school. And during soccer practice, and there was a lot of lesbianism on that soccer team. And during soccer practice, uh, when the balls were kicked over the fence where they practiced, you know, uh, she would always go and get the ball, even if she didn't kick it, and bring it back over. And so these group of lesbians approached her and said, hey, we didn't know that you liked us that way and that you wanted to have that kind of relationship with us. And she said, what are you talking about? And they said, 
well, we know why you're doing that, because you like her. Because you like her. And you've got to be a lesbian, because nobody would do that if you didn't have an ulterior motive, which is to have us look at you, and so you must be one of us. And what they said is they misunderstood. They had no concept that somebody could do something because they thought less of themselves than others without wanting something, which is maybe a, a physical relationship, physical pleasure, or even emotional connection, you know, in return. And she had a chance to look at them and go, no, 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 you don't understand. I do that because I, 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 I want to serve you guys, and you're valuable to me. And if it's as small as me going to get the ball that you kick because you don't want to get it, don't mistake the motive of my love. It's not to woo you. It's to win you and help you understand who my God is that I'm just trying to emulate. See, that's our mark. And the world, if it doesn't see it in us, is going to have a right to go one of two things. Either you're not a part of God's family or you are a part of God's family and God is a fraud, specifically Jesus. That's John 17. Jesus is praying, I don't ask on my behalf, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world might believe that you sent me. In other words, what Jesus is saying right there is if they don't love each other with such oneness and selflessness and mutual concern, if they don't treat my house when it's on fire like they would theirs, then the world's going to look at that and say that Jesus is not who he said he was because he said he would produce this in his people who wanted to become like him and by his grace and power to work through them. And so people will make two deductions. One, you must not be a true follower of Christ. Or two, you are a follower, but the guy you follow is a fraud. Now you choose which one of those two you'd rather have. I'd rather go, you know what, I need to be a person that loves. For two reasons. One, because I know there's life where God is. And number two, it's the sweet stuff. Let me tell you why Kyle Fagan had as many people at his house as he did that night. Because Kyle Fagan loves people. He invested in people. He cared for people. And when we had a chance to show our love back to him, it was the most natural thing in the world to be there. Let me tell you who else has folks there. When they are around somebody like Kyle Fagan, who hasn't loved Kyle, I know if there had been a neighbor of Kyle who didn't have God as a father whose house had burned down, that Kyle would have been there. And Kyle would have called us and said, come help me love this person so that they can see the love of God and that they matter to him in the way that we sacrifice for them. Given that life, I ask you right here, then, is all about relationship. What do you need to do today to invest in others and to allow others to more fully invest in you? Who do you need to give yourself to today because you love them? Do you say relationships matter? And then I would ask you, what's your schedule say? Are you investing in people? And does your life reflect that? I'll tell you the reason that's important, because the only thing, next blank, that can help you grow as much as the Bible is other believers. And specifically in this context, the only believers that can help us grow are those that love us through the conflicts and disappointments that my life around their life will naturally create. I'll read you the next blank, and all these work together. I'll give you an illustration. Only two people in the world can tell you the truth about yourself. I really believe this. One is an enemy that has lost his temper. And the other one is a friend who loves you dearly. Now, gang, this is what God has called you to. He wants you to have friends. They're going to come alongside of you and sharpen you because you set them a part of this team. They're going to be interested in you, and they want to see you become all that God wants you to be. 
And so they're going to love you enough to speak the truth in love, and they're going to love you enough to sharpen you, and they're going to love you enough to tell you the truth about your marriage, about your schedule, about your life, about your priorities, about your attitudes, about your language, about your values, and to spur you on in that way, and to wrestle through some things with you. This happens in my life all the time, and I will tell you that as much as there is any good in my life, it is because there are men in my life that are constantly refining me as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and it sometimes can be painful. Last one. A believer without a body is dismembered. The first sign of decline in a believer's life is isolation from others in the body. What I mean by that is simply this, is that it's a grotesque idea that somebody who believes and trusts in God and says that living the way God wants me to live is a sweet life, but then you don't step forward, count yourself as his child publicly, and step forward to be part of his family. Say, I'm going to live my life on purpose this way, and I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to isolate myself, and it's a dismemberment. Do you know that the idea of membership, that this club is a membership, has its roots in Christianity, in the Bible? goes to a passage in 1 Corinthians 12. And it talks about how we are all members of one body. And when there's a body that gathers for social reasons, for golf reasons, for whatever other reasons, they become a membership. We're a part of a body that pursues this. And God says, I want to be a part of a body that pursues the sweet stuff. And to try and do that on your own is a grotesque thing that will cause carnage, loss of life, and pain. And the appendage will die and wilt. And the body will not function as it should. And that is why, if you ask yourself, am I a man that trusts God? Is he my father? Am I going to live my life trusting that he knows the sweet stuff? Or am I going to pick the fireball? Then the first thing you do is you've got to say, I've got to get connected. I've got to get connected in a deep way. Because there's life there for me, even though it seems hard. Now, I skipped one little blank, and I'll give it to you. And it's the one up top. Uh, and it's just simply this. It's in the middle. It says, you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, guys, but you can't love without giving. And I want to tell you something. God didn't tell you he loved you and then not give you the provision that you needed in order to find life. He told you he loved you and he gave his own son. And as followers of his who want to be like our Father in heaven, he says, will you increase in giving yourself to one another? There is life there. Men will sharpen you. As you don't run away from conflict, you handle conflict the sweet way that I told you. And men, the finest way to handle conflict is when you've got a problem with a man, you go to him like a man, and you say, I need to talk to you about this. And then you work your way through it together. And you think less of yourself. You take responsibility for what you did. And you don't tell six other people about some other guy. You're a man that goes to them because you love them and want to see them do better. That's the sweet way, and it takes care of gossip. It takes away slander. It takes away of all the fractions that can come in a community that God wants to be one. Let's be those kind of men. If you are dismembered, let us encourage you to connect. If you're not sure that God is a father who can be trusted, we'd love to talk with you about that personally. And if you have never trusted him yourself before you leave here today, I encourage you to think about where your trust is and what you're really sitting in. And if you have trusted in him and have never stood publicly and said that, 
I would tell you that you're missing the first step of obedience and the first step towards the sweet life that God's called you to. We're glad you're here. Next week we'll take a look at another sweet thing that God's called you to. Read chapters 15 through 21 this week. That kind of covers what I just talked about. And then we'll tackle what's next. Lord, thanks for these men. Thanks for a chance to gather together. And Lord, thank you that you seek worshipers, but not because you're insecure, but because you want us to know what life is about. And you seek those, Father, that would worship you with all their heart, not in some rote, dead religious form, but would engage with you in relationship, would share life with you and trust you. Not you as they think you are, but you as you've revealed yourself to be. The God of love and justice and goodness and glory and grace and mercy and truth. And I pray, Father, we'd respond to that well. And the first way we would respond to that is by believing that you've called us not to live this life on our own, but with other men that will help us celebrate our pursuing you in this sweet community called your body. May we as a body who know you glorify our head by the way we love, even as you have loved. And I pray for our friends that are here today that haven't made that decision, never crossed that line of faith, that they would just engage with us about that enough to say why, and that they would experience from us a love that is not manipulative, and they would know that we care for them as persons, not as projects that might eventually believe as we do. So help us to love them well, even as men who maybe right now don't share the same purpose in life. But, Father, we do know this. Wherever we come today, you want us to love one another. And so I pray that we'd grow in our ability to do that. Thank you for these men and this morning we've had together. In Christ's name, amen. You guys have a great week.